We begin a series this Sunday uh, in the book of Galatians in the New Testament. And Paul is wanting to draw as large a portrait of that great and awesome God we just heard sung about. I want to invite you to follow along in the Pew Bible. It's on page 187, the first chapter of the book of Galatians in the New Testament section. Listen for God's word. Paul, an apostle, sent neither by human commission nor from human authorities, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the members of God's family who are with me, to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to set us free from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you're so quickly deserting the one who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another gospel, but there are some who are confusing you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should proclaim to you a gospel contrary to what we proclaim to you, well, let that one be accursed. As we have said before, so now I repeat, if anyone proclaims to you a gospel contrary to what you received, let that one be accursed. Am I now seeking human approval or God's approval? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still pleasing people, I would not be a servant of Christ. For I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel that was proclaimed by me is not of human origin. For I did not receive it from a human source, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray together. Oh, gracious God, on this Sabbath day, we have come to hear a word from the Lord. Open our eyes, unstop our ears, that we might see and hear what it is you have for us. Speak to us as only a living God can, for we pray in Christ's name, amen. you've been following the news this week, you know that President Obama has been visiting Japan. He is the first sitting president of the United States to visit Hiroshima following the atomic bomb that exploded there on August the 6th, 1945, which helped to end World War II in the Pacific. He was unapologetic, but expressed regret and called for a moral revolution in the face of our capabilities for self-destruction. He said these words, We have a shared responsibility to look directly into the eye of history 
and ask what we must do differently to curb such suffering again. And then he went on to say, quote, The memory of the morning of August 6, 1945 must never fade. That memory allows us to fight complacency. It fuels our moral imagination. It allows us to change, end quote. In his book, Reason and Common Sense, George Santayana first, first coined the phrase, those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. He was a Harvard professor, a philosopher, a poet who actually left Harvard University in 1912. And throughout the past century, in the profound hope of avoiding the mistakes and the tragedies of history, we have sought ways to remember our past so that the future might be better informed, might be brighter, and we might live together peacefully. It was just about 10 years ago on September 11, 2006, the fifth anniversary of another tragic event in American history, that an effort was launched here in San Marino. And I was asked to speak at the beginning of that fundraising effort to create a memorial to those in our community who have given their lives in defense of our country, in defense of the values that we all cherish. It's one of the ways that we preserve those values. We remember together that the freedom we enjoy is not free and that we are the recipients of a way of life that others have paid for with their lives. That memorial now stands in Lacey Park and there will be an event there tomorrow on Memorial Day at 9 a.m. Joshua Lawrence Chamberlain was an officer in the Civil War who previously had been a professor at Bowdoin College in Maine. He left his position there to join the Union Army. And during his years of service, he was wounded six times while serving in 20 battles, receiving the Medal of Honor for his role in the Battle of Gettysburg in 1863. Following the war, he would return to his teaching post at Bowdoin, and he would go on to serve as the governor of Maine for four terms. On one occasion, he returned to the National Memorial at Gettysburg, and Joshua Lawrence Chamberlain penned these words about the significance of remembering. In great deeds, something abides. On great fields, something stays. Forms change and pass, bodies disappear, but spirits linger to consecrate ground for the vision place of souls. And reverent men and women from afar, and generations that know not and that we know not of, heart drawn to see where and by whom great things were suffered and done for them, shall come to this deathless field to ponder and dream. And lo, the shadow of a mighty presence will wrap them in its bosom and the power of vision
pass into their souls. All memorials like that in Lacey Park and at Hiroshima and Nagasaki, at Ground Zero in New York City, are efforts to remember and to consecrate ground for the vision place of souls so that those generations that know us not and that we know not of might be drawn by that mighty presence to ponder and dream. And that vision which directed those lives that are now lost may pass into the lives of those now living and their sacrifice into the souls yet to come. Our text this morning in Galatians has some of the strongest and unapologetic language to come from the pen of the Apostle Paul. He quickly dispenses with the usual salutations in an opening letter. In those days, they identified the writer of the letter in the first paragraph rather than at the end of the letter, like we do. And then he launches directly into the reason for his writing. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. It's a call to remember and to resist the influence of the super-religious. It's a call that apparently Paul is making because they are accusing Paul of seeking the approval of people rather than of God. And therefore, his spirituality was not strenuous enough. It relies too heavily on grace and not enough on effort. So Paul has to defend his authority while trying to carefully delineate the distinction between real faith and this counterfeit faith the kind of faith that looks vaguely similar to the real thing, but it actually produces the opposite of Christian virtue in the lives of those who embrace it. Counterfeit faith produces pride and fractiousness and feelings of superiority, and it alienates rather than draws together. I know a couple, for instance, a responsible and committed couple who participate in their church and try to live consistent with biblical principles. Some might say they are in somewhat of a legalistic way. They met in high school. He was a star athlete. She was a cheerleader. And the world was a lot simpler back then. They're grandparents now. But sadly, they aren't permitted to see most of their grandchildren. One of their daughters and her family won't have anything to do with them anymore. She's now convinced that her parents are the real problem in her life, so she has cut off all contact, wanting to protect her children from their narrow legalism, the legalism with which she was raised. On the other hand, and conversely, strangely, their son 
is now in the military and apparently he's doing better than he's ever done before in that strictly regimented disciplined environment he just couldn't find a gear for his life he kept spinning his wheels but apparently he's learning to follow orders and it's leading the life for him their other daughter is living in a committed lesbian relationship she and her partner have adopted a young son it's not a lifestyle they condone largely because quote it's not biblical but she is the only one of their three children who is not alienated from them and they're reluctant to be too critical now in case they might disaffect this only child and grandchild with whom they have a continuing relationship life simply hasn't turned out like they imagined it was going to when they first married in their minds they did all the right things but somehow life turned out differently there are those who seem to have embraced this counterfeit faith that leads inextricably to a narrowness and an intolerance they seem to know the answer to everything they live in a black and white world of absolute certainty I like the definition of fanatic by Winston Churchill a fanatic is one who can't change their mind and won't change the subject I mean let's be honest religion produces its share of intolerant fanatics here Paul is using some of the strongest language he has ever used to ensure that the faith of the Galatian Christians is built upon their understanding of Christ and what God has done in Christ it's not based upon their own achievements or their own discipline or their own performance he later will write in the same letter did you receive the spirit by doing works of the law or by believing what you heard are you so foolish having started with the spirit are you now ending with the flesh I don't know about you but I I find it fascinating whenever I'm in someone's house to look at the refrigerator not in the refrigerator just look at the refrigerator we don't have children anymore where we're posting their report cards or placing their beautiful art projects on our refrigerator with carefully placed magnets to hold them up but we do have our kids Christmas cards positioned there and pictures of cousins and pictures of our grandchildren and I suspect that today many people post those pictures on their Facebook page rather than their refrigerator but you might have something on your refrigerator that says something about you and to whom you belong too often on Facebook pages it seems to me it's all about the individual very little about the context and the lives of those in their life recently I visited my sister in a rented home on the East Coast where she's working she has one magnet on her refrigerator it says simply life begins at the edge of your comfort zone she lives with this kind of willingness to take risks and 
she reminds herself that life is about much more than security and safety. It's a mantra that guides her actions and her activities in the world. And she reminds herself of it every time she goes to the refrigerator. What is your mantra? What guides your action and your activities this day or this week? Religious people sometimes set about trying to please God rather than trying to receive God. They build, unfortunately, these oppressive systems of rules and requirements and it allows us to take our destiny back into our own hands. And Paul wants the lives of these people in Galatia to be built upon a completely different foundation. The grace of God known to us in Jesus Christ. He longs for the Spirit to be unleashed in their lives so they'll know this freedom of serving the cause of Christ. And they'll come to know the fruits of the Spirit of God. Love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and generosity and faithfulness. And yes, even self-control. It's just so easy to forget. We're so apt to want to take control of ourselves rather than learning to depend upon God's grace for our daily action and activity. Don't get me wrong. There is room for effort in this life. We can and we must use what God has given us, investing it for the sake of the transformation that God intends. But first we must receive before we can ever achieve. In the world, it's the other way around. You achieve and then you receive. That's a recipe for disaster when it comes to faith. So beware of those who identify themselves as the real Christians because of the way they worship or because of the way they eat or because of the fact that they don't drink alcohol or caffeine or they drive cars that are eco-friendly. Beware of those who claim they are real believers because they don't wear jewelry or they don't have tattoos or they tithe 10% or they leave a smaller carbon footprint. The relative merits of those behaviors can and should be discussed in a variety of ways. But this is not the litmus test for those who are real Christians. You can eat a variety of foods and be a real Christian. You can drive a variety of cars or motorcycles <laughs> and still be a real Christian. It comes down to where you place your confidence in life and your trust. Is it on your own abilities? Or is it upon God's grace? I recently heard a story about a woman who wrote to a paper columnist about her friend who had recently been diagnosed with cancer. 
And she first asserted that her friend was a very negative, critical person, and so she asked whether her critical, negative attitude had caused her cancer. The response of the columnist was first to assert no. Her friend's cancer was not caused by her attitude. But then the columnist asked, why are you asking? Is it because you think that by not being negative, you can avoid cancer? Because if that's what you're thinking, you're mistaken. And it astounds me, writes the columnist, that your friend is in need of your support and your kindness now, and you're focused on how to avoid contamination yourself rather than caring for your friend. You see, what I think Paul is doing in this first chapter in Galatia is shifting the focus from our efforts to avoid contamination in the world and self-preservation to real and substantive kindness and generosity of spirit and caring that is the result of knowing you cannot be contaminated any longer. Thanks be to God. The antidote is ours in Christ Jesus. The cancer of sin is no longer determinative. Now we can live fully and we can live freely because we know we live eternally. This weekend, on Memorial Weekend, we remember and we honor those who focus not on self-preservation, but on higher ideals, higher values, and they were willing to sacrifice their lives for them. So what is Paul telling us? Never forget that you belong to Christ. This memory must never fade. This memory will fight complacency. It will push our comfort zones. It will stimulate our moral imaginations. And upon this rock, you can build a life. And we can build a community together. Thanks be to God. Amen.